Diversion Audio. Welcome back to Dear Skylar, where I talk to all kinds of amazing people about topics that I'm asked about as a transgender educator and activist. Things like mental health and sexuality, gender, race, sports, and so many things in between and beyond. I'm frequently asked about what my life was like before I transitioned. A lot of times people will ask me how I feel about looking at old photos of myself, what I felt like as I walked the world as what people perceived was a woman. How did I feel about myself from before? So today we'll be addressing the following question. How do trans people feel about how we were before? Before we dive into this conversation and I welcome our guest, I want to make sure that we understand this whole before and after characterization of trans people can sometimes be, and really what I mean, most of the time, if not always be, incomprehensive. I am not a before and an after. I'm a during and during and a during. What I mean by that is that oftentimes our journeys as trans people are sensationalized as before transition and after transition. And there's so much more to us than that. So back to our question, how do trans people feel about how we were before? An amazing individual to help us address this question is Ezra Michel. Ezra, I have never met you in person. Well, actually, no, I have met you in person, we in person. but we hadn't spent time together. No, we didn't. So I'm really glad that you're here today because that I, I, was, I almost said we never met because I feel like I saw you for like two seconds that day. Yeah, I uh, introduced you on stage. Yeah, and <laughs> that was it. That was it. Yeah, I don't we, think I we, got like, to see ha- we have one photo together, but the right. the lighting is horrible, and <laughs> it was like the the background was the wall of inside of a trailer, mm-hmm, and it was mm-hmm, ugly, mm-hmm. and so I. I hate that that's our only photo together. Okay, well, we're going to take another photo. We have to. Um, there's going to be a whole video, actually, of us. Aww, so <laughs> This is being filmed. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very excited, I guess is what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. to actually get to sit down with you and talk to you. Because um, I feel like we didn't really get to connect. That's also during New York City Pride. So that was such like a mess. That was a mess. Um, you're right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm stoked that you're here, that we get to actually talk. Yeah. Um, I know a lot about you because I followed you for a long time, but followers or listeners right now might not. So mm-hmm. could you give us a little intro name and pronouns and yeah. about who you are? I'm Ezra Michelle. Um I use he, him pronouns primarily, but any pronouns are, like, fine. Hmm. Um, I'm a trans mask musician, hairdresser, graphic designer, Hmm. entrepreneur, clothing brand man, uh, (laughs) barber. (laughs) I do a lot of things. Yeah. I have ADHD, so I... I like I get hyper focused on on different things at different mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you know I'm 27, so that happened over and over and over again. So now they're all kind of coming to fruition, <laughs> <laughs> and like you know having like a, a kind of a foundation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of like little things I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a crafty crafty guy. It's I know that from watching you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. So thanks. Thanks for sharing about mm-hmm. yourself. And yeah, um, I think that m- a lot of I feel like a lot of us trans folks are is, I don't know if multi hyphenate is the right word, but mm-hmm. we do a lot of things. Yeah, um, lots of things that going on. And I think maybe that some of that survival, maybe some of that is our just art is like pouring mm-hmm. through. It sounds like for you, like you're just an artist through and through. 
I would say so. I think that, you know, when you spend so much time unlearning social constructs or mm. like disregarding them in my case, mm. um, it's, mm. I like it's that. disregarding instead of unlearning. I'm just, well, cause I was, <laughs> I was always like such a little rebel as mm. a kid. Like mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I was very much a nonconformist my whole life. Mm. So, um, I think that growing up, I just, I just was so comfortable going against the grain and not doing what everyone else seemed to be doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when everyone was choosing one thing to do, mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Like, do mm-hmm. you not mm-hmm. realize that like there are so many options? Mm-hmm. Um, and only now I feel like I'm really benefiting from that mindset. But mm-hmm. for so long I was seen as like just some whatever, like uh, aimless mm-hmm. um, bum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Or you know, just uh, just clearly somebody who is afflicted with um, ADHD. Mm. You know, mm. well, I actually I have a lot of friends and also clients, and I know a lot of people of ADHD, and I think that's mm-hmm. like a very common feeling of like being told that that one is worthless because they they're bouncing from one thing to the next. Yeah. Um, and and I've actually I, I've seen so much beauty in, in in like being able to do so much and yeah. so many different things and I think sometimes it can be painful for the person because they it don't is. know which is the thing they want to do. Um, I have the opposite problem where I get so sucked into one thing and I can't do anything else. Yeah, <laughs> um, really. and I'm not good at switching tasks <laughs> and I'm not good at doing new things. Yeah, I'm. I looked at the bottom of a, of a pool for 18 years of my life sure. and just did that repeatedly for 20 hours every single or 20 hours every week. So I'm the opposite <laughs> yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. That is also not always great. Sure, yeah. Um, there's a balance but to there's, find. Exactly. <laughs> but I think there's beauty in both. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like for me, I really don't get sick of doing the same thing on repeat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for people that have ADHD, there is, there's this other, you know, amazing thing where you can switch so many times. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we don't have to dive too deep into that unless yeah. you, you want to, but I, 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 I loved what you said where you said you didn't start reaping the benefits or really kind of benefiting from the way that that has impacted your life until recently. And mm-hmm. how, how did that shift happen? I think time, mm-hmm. you know, like if you cycle through a pattern so many times, then, then you're able to like focus enough time to actually make it happen Mm. um over the course of a few years you know Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and so for like the music stuff Mm -hmm. i've been writing songs since i was 10 years old Mm -hmm. i've seen videos of you from when you were a kid (laughs) yeah i've been writing songs forever Mm. i've been performing them and singing them since high school Mm. and like um i used to play at farmer's markets in santa Mm. barbara on the street and just put a little hat down and Mm. start playing my mom used to take me to farmer's market to Mm. play um Mm. She was dating this like white guy who made Native American flutes. Yeah, I'm cringing for everybody oh, not watching. It was, <laughs> um, but he was trying to bond with me, and he like he like gave me a Native American flute, and I was like ten, right. so I was like cool, and I just like started playing it, and then mm. they were like, "You're good. You should mm. go to mm. farmers markets." <laughs> they just took me like I made like fifty bucks like doing that. Santa Barbara, so nice, rich nice. people. Are just like, <laughs> sure, um, but yeah, that, I, like I've just always been doing that, and then you know, over the course of my my life, it's gotten me to a place where now I have a bunch of singles mm-hmm. on Spotify mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I learned how to produce music. I taught myself how you, to. You do, do that all yourself. You don't have like not, a, a team. Not every song, but um, like "Mad of My Dreams," which was the the mm-hmm. one that like really kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, established my career mm. as a musician uh that i self-produced i wrote that wow. in one night wow and 
produced it and sent it out for distribution yeah. all in one. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> sounds also, I like like I said, there's a lot of people in my life with ADHD. That sounds very attached to that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was pretty manic. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wow, that's I, I that's amazing. Um, I I'll, I'll make a confession to you, which is that I I love. It's not a confession. That sounds weird, but it feels intimate to say. So that's why I'm saying it's a confession. Go for it. I have definitely left like videos of you playing music, like whatever. How what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not playing music because you're what is it? Making music, making music, M- musicking, um, musicking, <laughs> singing, singing, and playing playing your guitar. Yeah. Sorry, I'm stumbling on this one, but. I've left those videos just on my phone, just leaving it there, just listening. And there's like, first of all, there's just something very calming and intimate about the way that you sing. Um, And I think for me, it also, it's like, I don't know how, this doesn't sound right, but I'm going to say it. It it, it reminds me of my childhood somehow Mm -hmm. in like a really beautiful, like um, grounding way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think that, I don't know, there's so much of my childhood I didn't see. And I think that one of the things I wanted to, the, the main thing I want to talk to you about was your connection to your childhood. Um, and I, there's a video of you, sorry, I'm going in these circles, but I promise no, it's all related. I, I'm, yeah, I'm following. <laughs> um, there's a video of you talking about how you refer to your childhood self still with sheer pronouns. Mm-hmm. And the first time I watched it, there was something that sort of prickled in me where yeah. I was like, ah, sheer pronouns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you said, but the line is something like, but I was bullied with using he, him pronouns. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, little me didn't want to be called he, him pronouns. Um, and there's just this, this, like, there's this reverence for who and how you were at the time that I think we don't see. And that I think is, it was almost healing to watch, even though I don't, I still, I haven't changed. I still use he, him pronouns for yeah. me as a kid. Cause that's what I wanted then. Right. Um, yeah. And so I've kept that, but, but, but to see you say that there's like, there's this, there's this healing nature. I can't mm. think of a better word. I'm, anyways, I'm gonna stop talking. I'm curious what you think about, about this. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. I think, um, well, I think I have a very deep connection to my inner child. Mm. My inner child is the thing that it, it's like my my beacon, mm, my like mm, the the lighthouse mm-hmm, guiding mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. back to myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that I I I vary with the pronoun usage with with um, younger me. Hmm. Um, I think you know with that video uh, at that time I was having some really intense realizations about about pronouns and referring back to myself and all that Mm, stuff mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i think you know i I can understand also that i didn't have the language to understand Mm. uh that i was trans Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. that time Mm -hmm. and i i i so badly wanted to be a boy and Mm. it felt like taunting when Mm. they would call me a boy Mm. because i knew i couldn't be one Mm. and then it was like heartbreaking to hear he him and and secretly wish yeah and secretly wish that that was like was real mm-hmm. but it was a joke mm-hmm. and so it, it hurt mm-hmm. um and so i'd say i'm a girl mm-hmm. but really it was it was it was complicated mm-hmm. there's layers mm-hmm. but um i was the coolest kid mm-hmm. and and i didn't feel like anybody knew it mm-hmm. and so i think that i can feel that it, in the music like that, yeah. that's that's what i'm feeling like yeah. in the music i can feel like you're clearly not a child anymore no. and i can feel like I can feel the child that's there. And I think that is so powerful. Yeah. And it is something that, 
I think as a, a trans person who never got to see himself, you know, in the media and sports and photos and music, yeah. <laughs> um, I, every like queer artist that I get to listen to some, like, I'm not even like a big music person to be quite honest with mm-hmm. you. I don't like music, which is weird to say. We'll get into that later maybe, but I'm not a big music person, but mm-hmm. queer artists, especially trans mask artists, which there aren't that many of, it seems. No. Make me ball. It yeah. I don't even need to like the music. I do actually like your music. I like the. I love acu- acoustic music. Music. Yeah. So I, I love your music, like objectively. Thanks. <laughs> but there's another layer that that it's like I I don't know. I get to like spend a little time with like little Skylar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel you. I I think that I I definitely am tapping into something when I'm when I'm performing. I. I think about what I'd be impressed by mm. when I was a kid and mm. when I was a teenager. Mm. I was really mm. impressed by folks who were unapologetic and shameless mm. and um, had a very clear understanding of who they were mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and were just themselves, mm. like just all in. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, above everything, that's my priority. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just so happens that... It, that led me to transition that mm. led me to be a, a content creator mm. and mm-hmm. be the person I am today, get mm. sober, mm. Um, work on myself in this way, mm-hmm. because I, I just want to embody whatever mm. the, f- whatever this is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so much. Mm. And, and really that's like li- little me, mm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was, um, so misunderstood mm-hmm. as a kid. Trans mm-hmm. kids are often so misunderstood. And mm-hmm. back then, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't even like, um, I don't think that it was even a thought in my parents' minds that I might be a trans person, mm-hmm. a trans kid, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I was just like a tomboy mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that always felt so stupid. I was like, who the heck is Tom? <laughs> I was like, that's not my name. Mm-hmm. Why would you call me that? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Because I'm wearing jeans? Mm-hmm. Like, chill, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, like that that energy mm-hmm. of just like knowing who, mm-hmm. I, who I was, mm-hmm. um, that, that's, that's what I like covet the most about myself, mm-hmm. I think. When you said that you wanted to, you said, whatever this is, I want to embody it. Yeah. What it made me think of is actually, so you you have a scar just like mine on your chest or yeah. two, I guess. I think yours isn't joined in the middle. Yeah, no. They're, okay. They're so mine is joined in the middle, but you oh, got cool. separate star, scars. Uh-huh. Anyways, we both have mastectomy scars. Yeah. And you tattooed yours over with a line. And the first time I, that's actually what actually first drew me to your page. Now I'm remembering really? is I saw that you had huh. the lines on your, like I saw that you had drawn with ink, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, those lines on your chest. And I, and I immediately again, admitting this, I scrolled through your account, account till I could find when you didn't have the lines. Totally, yeah. Um, and because I wanted to know why you did it. I wanted to know yeah. what you said about when you did it. Did um, I even say anything? Sometimes I, think you, I give no context whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm just like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> I think you did make a post about okay, it. Um, cool. I don't know if it was super long, I, I but I, I mean, I think I knew when I saw you like in your, I think it was probably maybe 30 posts after that I found yeah. your account or so. Um, I think it was evident that it was part of your pride. Yeah. Um, and I assumed that. Why Why else would somebody get those scars tattooed that way? Right. But I but I want to know what happened for you as, as it happened. And so I'm going to ask you that now. I'm curious kind of, to me, 
my scar is one of the most important parts of my body. And, um, and it feels like, like this, just this gift that nobody can take from me. Mm -hmm. And, and people have tried, right? Even trans people have said, oh, you can make your scar lighter, Skylar. You can make your scar less purple. My scar is especially dark and it's especially thick. Um, and I love it. And I've never once wanted it to go away. And, I love that it turns purple when I'm cold and I, and I have so much love for my scar. It's like, it is to me, it's my story written in bold across my mm-hmm. chest and I'm so proud of my history. Um, and so I, when I saw that you got yours tattooed to me, it was like, it, I assumed it was the same. And I'm curious if you could say more about it. It's definitely, it is also a very important part of mm-hmm. my body. Mm-hmm. Probably the most important mm-hmm. thing that I have. Um, it's my favorite tattoo. Mm. <laughs> I have so many and it's just, it's so simple. And I had a trans artist um, draw the lines for me. Oh, amazing. And I, I wanted it to that. be That's amazing. really special. You know, like I, I was like, once I had the thought, because so my, my scars were fading. Mm-hmm. My, mm-hmm. my surgeon who did my revision surgery. So I had two top surgeries. Mm-hmm. The first one I had was um, incredibly botched. Mm. My nipples were like, like, on my rib cage uh, in my armpit it was like it was so traumatizing it was oh so gosh, scary that sounds horrible yeah to like be unbandaged and and think that that was going to be the moment mm. that i'd seen so many other oh, trans guys really, yeah. go through to be like oh it's me it's finally mm. me and i was just like oh no <laughs> oh gosh um so i i i advocated for myself that was the first time i'd ever mm. like really tried to advocate for myself mm-hmm to get a revision surgery covered mm-hmm, by yeah. insurance, which mm-hmm. is hard to do yes, or yeah. was hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked six months calling my insurance company almost every day. Wow. Uh, luckily I had the privilege of, of I, didn't have, I didn't have anything else to do at that mm-hmm, point mm-hmm, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like maybe a few months sober at the time. So mm-hmm. I was going nuts already. And mm-hmm. then I was just like, oh, I'm just gonna focus on this, I guess. Like this is my project. Mm-hmm. And I did get it covered after like appealing their denials like maybe four times. Wow. Um, so it was hard to get covered. Mm. And I think that, you know, beyond the like self-actualization of top surgery mm-hmm. and and the emotional experience of, of, of getting such an intense surgery mm. to free myself, mm. it was like... <laughs> It was it they are my scars are such a representation of that self advocacy that I learned how to mm-hmm. how to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. And um my revision surgeon surgeon was so good mm-hmm. that he that my scars were going away. <laughs> they were so good. Mm-hmm. Like you can see they're they're so so yeah, thin. Mine 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 don't look like that. Yeah, most <laughs> mine are very dark. Most don't yeah, I love your scars. <laughs> Thank you. Um and so I, I started getting like, I started feeling like, um, like I was, uh, I was hiding, but mm. I wasn't even trying to, you know? Mm, mm. And, and it was, it was bothering me. It was really bothering me. So mm. I was like, well, I'm already like covered in weird tattoos. So mm. like it, it all just made sense. Mm, mm. And, and then after I posted that, mm-hmm. I got a lot of, uh, backlash for mm, it from mm, trans men mm, binary trans mm-hmm, men mm. who 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 uh um didn't understand mm. why i would do something like that because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just it didn't compute mm. in their in their worldview in their view of their own transness 
I think that's this probably the same type of energy that I received when my scars were really red. Mm-hmm. Right after my surgery, they were red, they were raised, they were kind of like thick and puffy. And I, I was so unconcerned. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I was like, don't you see? I don't have boobs. Like, yeah, this is flat. great. Like, I do not care. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is where I'm at. And this yeah. is great. Um, and I was like, maybe they'll fade and maybe they won't. And he, and we'll go along with them, right? Yeah. Um, but so many people were like, and it was it was trans people, it was cis people, everybody that was like, here's how you can fix your scars. Right. Like, don't you know you can get laser? And like, this happened for more than a year. Every once in a while now, I still get a comment, actually yeah. fairly frequently. It's like, why does your scar look like that? And people will say, I don't want my scar to look like that. Or they'll Jeez. ask me like, what did you do in your recovery? Because oh, I don't God. want mine to look like yours. Dang. And I like... You know, I think that as I say it, I'm like, wow, that's really mean. That's so mean. <laughs> but I, so but I will mean. say that I like, I haven't received it as mean. I think initially I was bothered because I was just annoyed. I was like, why yeah. are you telling me what to do with my body? The whole point right. of this, like, I thought we all agreed that we weren't going to tell people what to do with their bodies. No. Yeah. But beyond that, I, I actually realized, and this, this helped me a lot, that they were saying it out of love. And I know it sounds kind of funny. Mm. But I think it's because they don't recognize that I could love myself even with it, right? right? Or that it's part of why I love myself is that I fought this hard to be where I am. Um, And I've learned to take that um, rejection of my choices or my body or how my body healed or whatever um, as as self-preservation for them, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, you know, with your, for example, your your tattoos – it's scary to them, to anybody who doesn't have the grounding to be able to be like, ah, this is actually okay. Right. And I also think that there's a level of like privilege that comes with being able to be so proud of Mm -hmm. something that Mm -hmm. really does out me Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. trans. Mm -hmm. And um, so I do recognize that like it is Mm -hmm. a privilege to be able able Mm -hmm. to be like, no, Mm -hmm. I want to be seen as trans Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I walk through the world unafraid Mm -hmm. of being visibly trans Mm -hmm. and there's a reason because mm-hmm. I'm not really in danger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I've never mm-hmm. been targeted mm-hmm. because I'm trans mm-hmm. in the real world. Sure, sure, on the internet, I've had so many, you know, so much hate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but Hiding like, behind the keyboard. <laughs> right. And like, you know, in 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 the in the real world, whatever, mm-hmm. it's all the real world. In the physical world. In the physical world. <laughs> there we go. The physical world. Um the thing I'm the most targeted for is the the fact that I'm a feminine guy mm, mm, mm. like i get called the the f word i see a lot right um not novel very creative of people oh yeah of course <laughs> yeah i'm like oh original <laughs> um i also like i'm i self-proclaim with that word mm, so it's not mm. real i know that they're trying to sling sling it as a as a hate a mm. hateful thing but mm-hmm. i'm just like okay like, <laughs> cool Ugh. we'll be right back with dear skylar in a minute I like that you brought up privilege. I think it's um it's something that I always want to be reminded of is mm-hmm. the privileges that I I walk through the world with and I think even I've even had people argue with me about my own gender, right? Mm-hmm. Where I'll be like sometimes I'll say that I'm trans and people will be like no you're not. You're oh like, yeah. I don't believe Classic. you. Like you yeah. can't possibly. You're too yeah. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Insert something about men. Man. Yeah. You have a beard. Yeah. Oh my Your god. Your beard's thicker than mine. <laughs> oh, it's so unfair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but I, 
that actually has happened my whole life, having to defend gender. And I was wondering if you had this same experience when mm. I was a kid. Um, I dressed very much like the boys did. I had short hair. I wore boys' clothes, boys, whatever boys' clothes yeah. are, right? Um, and if I was in a place where my mom wasn't or my friends weren't, I wouldn't correct people, right? So if they called wow. me, you know, he, him pronouns at the skate park, which was one of my favorite places to go, I would not correct them. Yeah. And I even would like confide in my brother. I'd be like, don't, don't correct them. Please don't tell them that I'm your sister. That's Let's cool. just like, can we just leave it? Oh. And he would, he would, he would just leave it because who cared? We were at the skate park. Right. We were there for three hours, whatever, move on. But there was this like, there was this sac- sacredness of going to the skate park because I was, just, I just got to be a, a sweaty little boy like yeah. all the other boys. Yeah. Um, but there would be times where I had to disclose my gender. Um, for example, um, tennis camp. I went to this like silly tennis camp one summer for a week and, um, I hated it. I'm terrible at tennis. Um, and we did this thing where, whatever, we were hanging out. All the, all the boys thought I was also a boy. I was just leaving it. And I went by sky at the time because I thought that was fun. Um, and it was like my boy name for some reason, even though also Skylar is a Anyways, yeah. <laughs> so I went by Sky, and all the boys thought I was a boy. And then there was a moment, the dreaded moment, where my stomach dropped because the coach said, "Okay, girls go over here, and boys go over here," uh-huh. and they separated us. And I like froze, and I stood there, and all the boys ran off, and they were like, "Come on, come on, come on!" Like you know, to me, and I, I knew I just couldn't. Like I can't, I couldn't, and I, I knew that the coach had a name on it, said my gender on it too. Right. So I stayed, and they were like, "They," I said, "They were like, what are you doing? Why are you staying?" And I was like. I was like, I'm a girl. Like, I was like, I didn't know how, I couldn't say it, you yeah. know, but I had to. And I did. And they were like, Poof. they thought I was joking. They completely thought I was joking. And I I got to the point of almost pulling down my pants Jeez. to show them Whoa. that I wasn't, quote, a boy. To the, you know, I literally put my hands on my pants. I was about to pull my pants down. They were like, no, 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 And they ran off. Wow, that's so bold. <laughs> we would have been friends. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> we would have been um, friends. But I, probably. <laughs> but, but I did that so often, not the pulling down the pants. Yeah. But many times having to try to prove that I was this girl, which mm-hmm. I hated. It was yeah. so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, to the point where people thought I was a trans girl. Whoa. And that was a mind yeah twister i was like how do i how did i get here (laughs) um did you have experiences like that i wouldn't say so i think that you know i wasn't passing in that way i see even though i was definitely shopping in the boys section Mm. and uh like people would taunt me with with calling me a boy but Mm. no one was ever convinced that i was a real boy Mm um i was a really pretty girl Mm. uh and i think they saw my potential and wanted me so badly Uh, to lean in. mm. My sister, I had three sisters growing up Mm. and they were all really feminine. Mm. And they all, Mm. all their names started with the letter A Mm. and they were just like, very like, I don't know. It was just, (laughs) it was just like very much like them versus me, even though we were all girls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was the youngest Mm. and I was ostracized Mm, mm, a lot. I mm. spent so much time by myself as a kid. Um, and you know, I think, I think because everybody in my life saw, like saw the potential for me to be like this, Mm. to be like them. Mm. Um, it, it, it was like, it wasn't an, I wasn't like far enough Mm. to the like mask side to really like pass or like Mm. blend in. I always stood out. Mm. Um, even though I really, I really did, uh, I remember one time 
my sister won a pair of boxers at a birthday party. Like hmm. it was like, I don't know how she- like a gag know. gift or something? Yeah, it was a gag oh, okay, gift. Okay. But they were super cool. They were, they had like <laughs> spider webs. Like they were black with spider webs on them. Were, I loved boxers when I was a kid. Same. <laughs> and I like, I, I would ask my parents to buy me boxers and, mm. um, and but these were like- The like, cool ones. They were like skater boy boxers, right, you know? Right. The kind they you were, had to have above your pants a little bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, which is like such a gender <laughs> euphoria moment for me still. Like I still mm. do that. Mm. Um, but I remember, so I had these like zippy pants, the kind that are like cargo pants that you like unzip at oh, the knee. Oh my God. I wore those exclusively. Me too. Okay. I perfect. would like, I like wore them. And then I wore the like extra fabric around my ankles. Cause that's what the boys did at my school. And it was like, it was like cool. It was oh, like nice. cool. Okay. And so I was, I was getting my zippies on and then that's what I called them. And then, uh, and then I was like, oh my God, I could wear the boxers under the zippies and then like sag at school. <laughs> and I was like, so excited to like try it. Mm. And I, I put the boxers on and then I almost had the pants up when my mom walked into my bedroom and was like, mm. gonna tell me to like, you know, we had to go. Mm. And I just remember like frantically just like, stripping everything mm. off while she like was opening the door because I was so scared of her like catching oh. me, mm. even though my mom was pretty supportive mm. of like mm. my gender exploration mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as a kid. She's the one that took me shopping. Like mm. she bought me those pants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but like I had already internalized the shame. Right, right. I already knew it was wrong. Right. Because I was taunted for it yeah. already. So like there was this, there was such a like battle inside mm, of me mm -hmm. wanting so badly to stay true to myself and like mm. keep doing the thing that felt so good to do. Mm -hmm, and I didn't know why. Mm. And I didn't want to question it. Mm. I was a kid. Mm. I didn't want to question it. Oh, man. you know, but we were forced to question we were forced it all. To question. Yeah. And like, I was like, I don't want to defend this thing. I don't want to, mm. I don't want to explain myself. Mm. I was 10. Mm -hmm. Like, mm. let me, wear what I'm wearing but at that point it wasn't even someone telling me it was it was already internalized because my mom wouldn't mm. have said a word yeah. about it she would have just been like oh cool mm. <laughs> like <laughs> she was really like that you know did but you it, do you remember when you started internalizing that like where did you, do you I don't know if you um, can remember the first moment that yeah you... I think well because my so when I was eight my parents divorced mm. my dad remarried uh, three months after the divorce. So it was really fast. Everything yeah. changed. And he remarried wow. this woman from Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad's Mexican. He's mm -hmm. from Mexico. Mm -hmm. she, he married a woman from Mexico that was actually had been previously married to his brother, which was... Okay. So she was I... <laughs> my aunt at one point, then turned stepmother, and okay. she brought along two sisters gotcha. for me. Okay. So two daughters. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The oldest was four years older than me and she um, she was my first bully. Mm. So I was eight and a half and she decided that because my hair was short and I wore boys clothes that mm. I was like this disgusting thing. And I didn't know curse words before mm. her. I didn't know, mm. you know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant to be called gay mm. as a derogatory thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't understand mm. what she was doing mm -hmm. or why she was hurting me. Mm. Um, and why she felt so compelled mm. to make sure that I knew that I was different mm. and that like all the reasons why I was different were the reasons why she felt justified in hurting me. Mm. And um, 
so it was very quickly learned and internalized mm-hmm. it was it happened within a week right right very explicit at that yeah. time jeez yeah i'm really sorry that you had that experience it sucks um i'm just i'm thinking about all the ways that we that we internalize right and one mm-hmm. of them like you said is that explicitness where people just say say this is wrong and they make you feel right you know like it's bad um and and then i think we learn those and then we use them right repeatedly mm-hmm. and the first time i remember feeling that shame was 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 not it's it was because of my mom but not because of my mom mm-hmm. and what i mean is that when i when people would call me a boy because i had the short hair and i wore the boys clothes whatever um my mom would get so mad and she'd be like this is my daughter yeah and she thought she was protecting me i have so much love for my mom my mom have a great relationship but awesome. at the time you know, it was this like, it was, I don't think she understood, she definitely didn't understand what she was doing. And I didn't understand why I felt the way that I did. Cause I think she thought she was protecting me. She was defending me. And, and yet what I received was shame. Right. Right. And so it's, it's so interesting because it's so, such different experiences that we had. You had a very explicit shaming and I had a very implicit shaming, right. but we both learned that way, well, this, this whole wanting to be a boy thing or really just being a boy yeah. um, was so bad. There was something so, so wrong about yeah. it. But I, I really love what you said about not wanting to question. I hadn't even ever thought about that way mm. because when I was a kid, I didn't have the words of, I am a boy, right? I had tomboy as well. Right. Um, actually one day, I called myself Tommy the whole day because I wanted, I was like, no, 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 I I am Tommy. I'm not a tomboy. I'm Tommy. I was literally, I like called my, the, you know, when the teacher comes in and it's like a substitute teacher and so they don't know your names. I like, before the teacher came in, I corralled the whole classes in fourth grade. It's my science class. And I corralled the whole class where I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to tell the teacher my name's Tommy and that Skylar's not here. Um, don't nobody correct her <laughs> and they were like nobody cared we were yeah. fourth grade what i don't care they think yeah. it's funny too so they let me and the whole class i got to be called tommy one day for one hour <laughs> wow. um i just can picture that as well. <laughs> yeah at the time though i i i didn't have the words i didn't have the explanation but mm. i think i felt that I needed to. I needed mm-hmm. to explain why it was that I didn't feel like the other tomboys. Like there was a, a group of, of girls in my school mm-hmm. who all have persisted in their girlhood, unlike me. Yeah. Um, and and I remember being lumped into them and being like, oh, you know, Skylar and the other tomboys. And I was like, no, 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 no. There's something different. Like mm. I am not like them. And there was something so clear about it, but I couldn't, I couldn't find the words for I actually am a boy, but I felt like I had to find the, I, if I couldn't explain it, then I couldn't be it. Right. Um, yeah. I definitely relate to the, like, if I can't explain myself, then I just, and then I, I don't deserve to be it. Mm. it. It was like, so I came out when I was 17, mm-hmm. I came out as trans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was already out as a lesbian since mm-hmm. I was like 15 and a half or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a queer group of friends. I was mm. I was really immersed in the queer community mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara, where mm-hmm. I grew up. Mm-hmm. And um, even uh, my best friend was trans was a trans guy. Oh wow! And he passed without testosterone, without anything, without mm. even binding. He passed. He just mm. was one of those guys that mm-hmm. just like had a super deep voice <laughs> and just was like. When he was like, I'm a boy, everyone was like, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like very easy for him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was his best friend and I was so happy for him when he came out. And I, I, you know, soon after he came out, I came out Mm -hmm. and nobody believed me. Mm -hmm. And because I couldn't explain why I was feminine Mm -hmm. and I dressed like a boy Mm -hmm. 
I had like I was a dyke mm. like I that's how I identified I, I was a dyke mm. through and through mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I you know I I did look masculine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but imagine the way that I speak now but with a voice that's not on testosterone mm-hmm. you know I I have feminine mannerisms mm-hmm. and because of those reasons my queer group of friends oh. were like no you're doing that for attention like you don't know oh my absolutely god not. And they didn't call me my name that I wanted to be called. They didn't use my pronouns. And I felt so at a loss for how to explain mm. myself mm-hmm. that I just was like, like, oh, just kidding. Like, I don't know what I was drunk. Mm. And I was when I came out mm. to them, I was like really drunk. Mm. And and I just kind of played it off as like this joke. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that like, we are so pressured to know exactly mm. who we are mm-hmm. before we tell anyone mm. because we know that we're going to be questioned mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're going to be asked to defend mm-hmm. what we're saying mm-hmm. with like hard evidence. Mm. And we don't always have that. And other people don't either. Right. <laughs> right. Like I think <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking like, as I think, you know, and as you have had the experience too, I, I do a lot of things public facing and Mm -hmm. therefore press facing, especially with trans athlete stuff. And I, I am constantly over filtering everything I'm saying, fearful that somebody's going to take it and twist it. And as you were talking about, you know, this, this like, Oh, I'm not sure. And then zinging back, I was like, part of my brain went forgetting it's my own podcast (laughs) where we're not going to edit it weirdly, but part of my brain went, Oh my God, what if they take that? Right. And, and, and shift that around to like not being sure and whatever trans people shouldn't be sure. And there's this, even now, right. I'm so conditioned to consider certainty, right. And consider the, the um, absoluteness that we must present in order to be valid, in order to be received, in order to be believed. Um, And I, I want so badly for, us and actually everybody to not have to be sure, right? Mm-hmm. To allow ourselves to stumble. What what happens if you weren't sure? Like, let's say you really weren't sure. It sounds like you have been for a long time, but even if you weren't sure, sure about your identity or whatever, okay. Like yeah. what would have been so bad if you had said, hey, I'm trans and then later been like, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, like, I think that there's such a lack of um, representation of trans mask or trans people in general mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, our community mm-hmm. who are out and and have a platform who feel brave enough to say that out loud mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there are still so many folks out there who aren't out or who mm-hmm. are just like just beginning to have these like questioning moments mm-hmm. who probably don't feel safe mm-hmm. having these questions or like mm-hmm. not being sure and not being mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. i get so many messages from folks being like like i didn't know that i was allowed to identify as trans mask because i was so feminine mm. and thank you so much for representing mm. you know mm-hmm. somebody who who is comfortable with their femininity enough to like express mm. openly mm. because i didn't know i could exist mm. and i could i didn't know i could exist either mm. you know mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what kind of pushes me to like to like be representation Mm. out there because you know i think it's all like i think just um i just think more representation is always good Mm. you know and i don't i never i never want to say like um that there shouldn't be like masculine 
uh, trans mask representation just because I think that there should be more feminine yeah, trans Yeah, it's not a scarcity. It's a, it's a more. Exactly. It's <laughs> not always a, a more. It's always a more. Mm, just mm. like how there's a lot of trans femme representation compared to trans mask representation. Mm, mm. And like acknowledging that isn't mm. to say we don't we need less trans femme mm. representation mm-hmm. it's just to say we need more trans mask representation mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. and and like thank god for all of it mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. exists mm-hmm. and let's have more mm-hmm. you know um so like the the you know being a being a feminine trans mask person is mm-hmm. it's so crucial to me mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. to be visible because mm-hmm. I'm witness to so many uh, mm. people who who tell me that that it's been life saving. Yeah, I think, and that and that expands beyond transness too. I mean, I think like one of the things I found really powerful is is my relationship with cis men mm. um, who yeah. who have like found a portion of what we might call femininity through connecting with me that really doesn't have to be femininity either. I mean, all of these are just constructs, but what I mean by that is softness, emotions, mm-hmm. ability to talk about um, sex without it being conquest and domination, <laughs> right? And and there's just so much there that, that cis men don't have access to yeah. or that they stop themselves from having access right. to um, that I have watched them broach because of sharing space with somebody who doesn't want to subscribe to those kinds of boxes. Um, I hear through what you talk about, this is related and sort of shifting, but as you talk about femininity, what I was thinking about is I, I, I don't think that, well, I don't know what people think about me sometimes, but I don't know. I don't think I'm consistently perceived as like feminine. I think I, most people perceive me in the masculine mm-hmm. side of things ish. So, yeah. um, and I, I like have such a deep love for my womanhood. Mm. And I think one of the things that I never wanted to lose that was like a panic that I was going to lose was my connection to womanhood. Mm. Um, and my childhood, my mom is a very strong, like, uh, a feminist woman. And my whole childhood, I wanted to be like her. I, I tried so hard to be this woman that she was, um, when I like first got my period, it was four in the morning and I had to go to practice swim practice at four in the morning. And you don't get to wear a pad to practice at four in the morning when you're swimming, you have to wear a tampon. (laughs) Oh, you went right (laughs) in. I went right in. And, uh, and I remember waking up and my mom being like, you got to do this. This is what, this is what we do. This is what women have to do. And, um, of course not all women have periods, but that's not the point here. The, the core was she had this strength. And I just remember the, the, the period part is that she was like, this will not stop you. She was like, so like, Whoa. like, like serious that, um, and it wasn't even much of a conversation. It was more like a, I ran to the bedroom because my dad took me to practice and I was like, well, can't talk to you about this. Yeah. So I ran to my mom, woke her up and she was like, here you go. This is what you're doing. You got to get going. And she was so adamant that girls could do everything that boys could. And, um, and I, I so appreciated that about her. And so when I began discovering my boyhood and my manhood, I thought I was betraying her. Mm. I thought that this this was me losing womanhood and, and it was not even losing, it was that I was I was I was discarding it. And I think the my dad said this to me once, um, and it it broke my heart. He said, Skylar, what about you know, he oh, how did he say it? he was he said, Skylar, women are gonna be so sad to lose you and to like lose your womanhood. And I was like, I don't know what I, I can't do this now. I was like, I was like, I can't transition. What am I going to do? How am I going to, I'm going to lose this part of me that was so central. 
And as I'm talking about this, what I what I mean to say actually is that I didn't lose that. <laughs> and I, I learned through my transition that I think my womanhood that my mom taught me, that I learned from her and many other strong women, I've carried with me and it's made me the man that I am. And I, I love that. I love that so much that my womanhood, I believe my woman has made me a better man. Mm-hmm. And I hear, I think through your you know, your expression of your own femininity. And I think your reverence for your femininity and your femininity combined with your masculinity, mm-hmm. I hear a similar feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious, I don't know if I, there's a question. I just I want to hear yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that um, the way that you're putting that is really powerful mm. and poetic mm. and beautiful. Thank you. And I, I just like, I love the way you're talking about it. Um, there's been such a fear that I've, had to work through uh, about speaking about this kind of stuff mm. as a trans man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not wanting to be disregarded because mm. of the language I use to mm-hmm. describe mm-hmm. these feelings, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and to, to just hear you talk so openly and freely mm. gives me permission mm. and gives so many pe- people permission too. Mm. And I, I think that we all do that for each other, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the more we speak to each other and mm. aren't in competition with each other, <laughs> Which is another thing that I think sure. we could t- yeah. touch on, but sure. um, yeah, I, I love just hearing trans mask people talk about their femininity and their connection to that mm-hmm. um, is so healing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel like for me, it wasn't. It didn't feel so. Uh, it's not. It's not tied to a specific person for me, or mm-hmm. like a like something I learned. Mm. Um, I think for me, it's been mostly guided through recovery and Mm. like Mm. realizing how much internalized toxic masculinity I was experiencing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of all the years of identifying with um, like hyper masculinity to Mm. compensate Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for Mm. how like uncomfortable I felt in my right, body. Right, right. So I was like a misogynistic lesbian. Like I was like a dykey mm. um like player in mm. Santa Barbara. Mm. <laughs> and um and I carried that with me to college in Oakland and mm. um wore that as a badge of honor because it mm. felt like that was my one thing mm. that tied me to men, to mm. being a man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being like a man mm. was um the way that I could um just mm like discard women mm, mm. and um it was were you aware of that at the time absolutely mm, mm. which is unfortunate mm. because <laughs> i think the self-awareness adds a level of like oh oof. but <laughs> <laughs> well it doesn't it doesn't I think, I think it's also about you trying to find like i have a lot of compassion i guess is what i'm trying to say well, not not condonement necessarily but absolutely compassion yeah for what you were um what kind of like love you were trying to find for yourself absolutely i mean you know it's a generation of of teens of queer teens raised by shane from the l word you know like that was a <laughs> oh my, my God, representation so true. <laughs> that was like the oh one gosh. person who i could be like okay yeah. like they're not she wasn't hyper masculine she right. was just butch mm. like without even really trying like mm. she was just herself mm-hmm. and that's how i felt mm-hmm. so i was like i see myself in this person and she seems to navigate the world by just f- having sex <laughs> with so many people in order to like find um mm. whatever validation or mm-hmm. affirmation mm-hmm. and 
and it seemed fun mm. and it seemed like uh, it was painted as fun in that show too yeah it seemed like something to do you know and and because i was so so very lost mm. at that time in my life um it seemed like an identity that i could i could get behind mm. that i could engage mm. with mm-hmm. and so uh, when you know i think I came out as a trans man when I went away to Mills College, which mm-hmm. is an all-women's college mm-hmm. in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I had, like, a slew of horrible experiences mm-hmm. uh, there, realizing that I was just not ready for higher education. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I, I didn't, I didn't know if I ever would be, and mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. and I wasn't, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh but I, but I am grateful for the experience of realizing that surrounding myself with so many women helped me realize that mm. I just wasn't one. Right, right. And it helped me come out again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had I'd gone back in the closet at 17, came back mm-hmm. out at 18. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that long mm-hmm. in between. Sounds like a painful year, though. It was. Yeah. It really was. Um, yeah, I... I didn't know if I'd make it through that year. Mm. It was, uh, and it was, that was the year that I, I really leaned into my substance abuse mm. and alcohol and mm. all that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do think that like having that as a crutch and as a coping mechanism did save my life mm. and also was, um, would later on present itself as an issue <laughs> sure but at the time you know like well, that's I needed... what they called maladaptive because yeah. they're, they're both adaptive they yeah. help us get through things and, and they're also mal they're not so good for us yeah but um i think that like you know th- my history with with um rejecting femininity um mm. it didn't just affect my relationship with myself mm. it, it affected my relationship with with mm. women mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. general or mm. fem people in general Mm -hmm. um and so healing healing like my hatred for myself and the misogyny Mm -hmm. that i was inflicting upon myself and Mm -hmm. trying to like contain and like suppress and and Mm -hmm. hate that Mm -hmm. part of me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um unlearning that and healing that helped me yeah you know with my relationship to to women outside of myself we'll be right back with dear skylar in a minute One of the ways we get removed from from access to womanhood, or how do I say this best? Femininity, right? We live in a society, patriarchal society, that is highly misogynistic. And I think that that is so challenging for everybody, actually. Um, but especially in our case, trans masculine individuals who also want to love on that femininity. Yeah. But I've found at every turn, um, no matter which presentation of myself, I think I was demanded by the world to to hate my womanhood. Yeah. Right. Whether that was me in womanhood before I transitioned. Yes. My mom said we need to love this. Right. But the world did not. Right. The world said, nope, this is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I, as I learned to, um, as I transitioned and I learned to accept my manhood, then it said absolutely no womanhood. Right. And, 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 you know, God forbid you even have any remnants of that because especially for a trans, as you said, for a trans man or trans masculine person, it not only says you're not man enough, it just says you're not man. Right. It puts you back into the old category. Yeah. 
And so on my on my swim team um, in college, it was a it was a really tough time of me trying to figure out. I knew I wanted to hold on to my womanhood. I knew yeah. I wanted, and when I say hold on to womanhood, I don't mean being a woman. I think people, I'm sure people will twist what I have to say about this yeah. and say, oh, how are you even trans or whatever. And they can go they can, and wonder. We're on their just own. two ladies talking. Just, <laughs> just go away. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> And I think like, it, it's not, it's not a, it's not a holding on to being a woman. It's, it's what I think I walked through to get here. Yeah. Um, and makes sense. I think it's one of the reasons I'll never get a, a hysterectomy, oh, for example. Interesting. Um, I feel that, I feel that that's, unless I need to for like medical, like, sure, you know, yeah. like if there's something wrong with it, then okay. Yeah. Um, but Fine. I, <laughs> but I feel, I don't know. I feel this like I know this is not every trans person's experience, and I, I feel the duty to say that Absolutely. some people deeply feel disconnected from their totally. from their uteruses, and that's that's yeah. that's so valid. I know some people have like the most like best spiritual like releases by getting hysterectomies. Yeah, for me, it feels like the place I came from, and that's it feels there that I, I feel and I feel like it's like the last sort of remnants. I feel this about my my like parts feel like sort of the last the last bit of me that that's that's where I came from and and truly where I came from if you think about birth right mm -hmm. and it feels sacred to keep it yeah. feels it feels like a, an ode to womanhood it doesn't feel like womanhood because I don't believe that my uterus makes me a woman no. right or that my parts make me a woman um but they're an ode to what what maybe people expected me to be and and perhaps there is there's beauty in in holding all that womanhood entails, especially my, I, I come from a, a line of Korean women that have, you know, escaped war, walked from North Korea to South Korea during the North Korean, like they were during the Korean war and the separation. There's just so much power in that. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel blessed to be a man who holds that. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I got a hysterectomy and I feel like I'm able to access l more love for myself and femininity because of the removal of that. I love that. And that's awesome. Yeah. Too. Like, it's just, it's so, it's so impossible to generalize these yeah. experiences. I love that you did, that you got one for the purpose of having this conversation. Yeah. Right now, Cause it's so, we have such different experiences. I love it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I just think it's cool. I mean, I, and be, even though I had my experience of like really um, feeling, uh, grossed out mm. quite frankly by mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. organ in mm -hmm, my body that mm -hmm. just felt so dysphoric it just didn't mm. feel like mine mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like i can i can still picture mm. what it might feel like to have an emotional connection with mm. it mm -hmm, mm. because empathy mm. you know yeah. like it's it is it is quite simple mm -hmm. for me to like mm. hear your words and be like oh my gosh it's so that's so beautiful it's mm. so profound mm. and then come back to my experience and be like Oh, it was so easy for me to just be like garbage, like <laughs> <laughs> fling, you know. Yeah. But you know, it, it it took it did take it it did take um some processing. Sure. I thought I was going to be a seahorse dad mm. at one point in my mm -hmm. life, so mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But once I I started having some cramping happening because mm -hmm. of testosterone mm -hmm. stuff, and immediately I was like bedridden couldn't even like i couldn't even think mm -hmm. or move or mm -hmm. it, it was so dysphoric mm -hmm. and i was like if i can't handle a little knock like <laughs> i was like i can't handle a whole human mm -hmm. there's no way mm -hmm. so it was it was actually a grieving period for me to, yeah. to get rid of that the grieving process for me 
I, I thought that I was going to have to grieve womanhood. Mm. Like I thought that I had to grieve my connection to who I thought I was supposed to be. I thought I had to grieve my connection to my mom. That was really hard. That, that expectation that I had to grieve that. I thought I had to grieve my connection with my teammates who are women. Um, and what I learned is, is I actually didn't have to grieve my connection to anything, but sometimes I have had to grieve other people's connection to me. Mm. And what I mean by that is now when I walk around the world, I'm perceived as a man. People don't see my transness, they don't see my queerness, and they don't see my womanhood or mm. my history of womanhood. And sometimes that's wonderful because I want to be seen as myself and a lot of myself is manhood. Um, but a lot of times that means people are perceiving me as toxic or as scary or as unsafe, especially queer and femme folks. Mm. And that breaks my heart. And that is a grieving process. It's like a never-ending grieving process. I know what it's like to not be perceived as unsafe, but now I'm perceived as unsafe in some mm-hmm. situations. And I'm, I don't know if you have the same experience or if you have thoughts about that, but like just grieving, I would love to hear about grieving yeah. and, and sort of womanhood and transness. And- I think the one thing I can relate to is the experience of grief, like feeling like fear of grieving my relationships to people mm-hmm. and uh, specifically my sister, my, mm. my, my biological sister, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. nowadays I really just say I have one sister mm-hmm. because that's really the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very close. She's queer. Uh, she's, she's awesome. Mm. She's just like my favorite person in the whole world. Mm. Like we've, we've just been like such a unit. Mm. Um, we were so there for each other mm. as, as teens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's really helped me, um, she loved my she she taught me how to love me. Mm. She really did. Um and uh so, you know, I was raised as her sister mm. and we were sisters and mm. we like mm-hmm. did sister things mm. and like shared a bed and, mm. and took showers together mm. without even thinking. Like it was just <laughs> it was just so like uh it, we were just so socialized to be sisters. Mm. And um I I had a like a an epiphany a few years ago where I was like I started crying thinking mm. about how like she doesn't think of me as her sister mm. anymore. Mm. I'm her little brother. Mm. And that was an affirming term. Mm. At, like at one point in my transition mm. it was like mm. it was everything to me that mm. she would call me her brother. Mm. And then all of a sudden I was like ow like mm. but what about all those years mm. that we were sisters? We were the girls. Mm. And um and it and and I talked to her about it, and she was like, "Well, I'm not going to call you my sister because that just sounds like I'm being like n- not accepting of you." And I was like, "But who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for them? Or are you doing it for me?" So that was a whole conversation. But mm. um, grieving that was interesting, and now terminology doesn't hold as much weight for mm. me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, like with pronouns and stuff, it mm-hmm. just feels I've 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 unpacked so much that now I'm mm. just sort of like you i don't want anybody to have power over me with mm. what words they use for me mm-hmm. if they want to call me a woman still i'm going to figure out how to receive that mm. and uh and use it to my benefit mm. which is such a man thing to do <laughs> <laughs> like um like i don't want anyone to be able to insult me mm. and and that is a, a control issue on my end <laughs> but also like what's survival too if i can why not mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Um, so, but the grief thing, I think for sure, grieving that, and then uh, I don't, I, 
I don't have the experience of being uh, seen as an unsafe man. Mm. I don't have that experience. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is about me. Mm. People feel safe around me. Mm. Maybe it's because I'm a barber or a hairdresser. People just feel like they can open up to me. Mm. Um, I I have a softness mm. that I think it just, I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I, but I, I know it's there mm. because I've, whatever, mm -hmm. I walk through the world and I know people mm -hmm. feel really comfortable around me. Mm. So, mm. Um, but I know that there is a capacity for people to be afraid because mm. of my masculinity, mm. but I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, you mm. know? And, and it's something that used to like, the idea of not being masculine enough used to um, be such a sh source of of pain and mm -hmm. self-hatred mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And it has turned into one of the most, um, one of my most, like, one of my proudest. Mm. Sounds like you cherish things. it. I do cherish it. Mm. I really do. Mm. I, love I love that, that. about myself. I love that about you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm I'm just I'm sort of like perusing over it, and I I I feel like I wish I could sit here and like re-listen to it, which I will, which you will, <laughs> and I, I will too. <laughs> um, but I I'm, I'm thinking about grief and and like our conversation, and I think what I, I I'm, I'm I don't know if worried is the right word. I don't want anybody to receive any of the conversation about grief as necessarily bad. Mm -mm. I think sometimes people perceive grief as bad, and I I think that grief is so necessary mm -hmm. and when i think about grieving womanhood when i think about grieving how people perceive me even though it's how i want them to perceive me to some degree when i think about being perceived as a cis man which is what i think i was fighting for at one point but yes. then i'm not and then they are seeing me as a man but they're not <laughs> seeing me because i'm trans and right it's just it's like a little bit of a mind f yeah <laughs> and and in that, there's grief. Yeah. And I don't see it as bad. Like I, I this sounds weird, but I, like I want the grief. Like I thrive these days off mm -hmm. of the grief, and it's it's not bad. It's it's this grief is this feeling for me that there's a quote that I love that says grief is love with no place to go. Mm -hmm. I've heard. And that I like one. roll that one over in my head over and over again. And I think about if grief is love with no place to go, then I have to find a place for the love to go. And where else is it going to go? But right back here. Yeah. And I think about that all the time when I'm thinking about grief, like this grieving of womanhood is really like me trying to redirect the love that yeah. I have for myself. Definitely. And so I want people to know, at least from my perspective, that when I'm talking about this grief, it's so beautiful yeah. and it's so important. And I don't want, I don't want it to be different. Like I don't want my, I don't, I don't want my path to, I don't want to go back and change it. Right. Like, I don't regret anything. I right. love where I am. Um, I and that. I feel that from you too. Definitely. I wouldn't change a single thing. And mm. I've been through some horrific things mm. in my, in mm. my 27 years, <laughs> but I can see exactly how each thing has led me here. Mm. And I wouldn't change anything about what, what's happening here. Mm. I live a beautiful life mm. And probably like 99% of the time, I experienced a level of joy that I didn't even think was possible. Mm. I didn't think it was humanly possible mm. and especially not possible for me. I did not think I was gonna make it past 25. Mm. I used to say, I'm gonna quit smoking when I'm 25 because I did not think I'd make mm. it to 26. Mm. And um, here you are, 27. And here I am 27 and I love it. Mm. I like it. 27 is one of my favorite numbers because it's three cubed, three to the third. You know what? I'm so and, weird. You know. <laughs> 
people who like math and are good at it are necessary, <laughs> and I'm grateful for for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I think that what you said about grief is important to note because mm. of you know I I don't I don't necessarily I'm not I don't identify as like an educator, Mm-mm. and I think you I do you do yes, and um and I'm so grateful that you do because what you're doing is so powerful and so important and i don't want to do it (laughs) a lot of people tell me that (laughs) i bet i bet but like the space that i occupy is 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 very innate Mm. and and Mm. easy to occupy for Mm. me and i feel like what you're doing is very in alignment with you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's and and it shows Mm. um just because of the energy and the consistency that you have Mm. for it Mm -hmm. like that like it would be clear that it's not in alignment if you couldn't keep it mm-hmm. keep it up, and mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just really grateful that that you're that you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. with your platform and your mm-hmm. and your voice and your passion. Mm-hmm. Ezra, you have been very public, uh, you and L, with your relationship online, um, and I feel so privileged to be able to witness um, it online because I think it's something that. A lot of people feel entitled to other people's relationships, but I, I feel like it's so sacred. Mm. And I don't share pretty much anything about me and my partner. So I yeah. just, I feel like privileged to witness yeah. it. Um, not only because it's your personal life, but also because of the amount of joy and sort of like, I don't know, um, magnificence that you two mm. show together. And I was curious if you could talk a bit about it because I think that T for T love, trans for trans love is something that's that's really special. And mm-hmm. um, I want to share as much about it as I can. And yeah. I haven't actually experienced it myself. So tell me tell me what it's like for you. Well, um, I think with my relationship with Elle, uh, I've been able to heal so many parts of myself mm-hmm. that were um, buried and hurting. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even like I really knew Mm. Um, that they were even there, mm. but they were affecting my life in so many ways. Mm. Um, so it's like beyond the like trans for trans nature of our relationship. It's just like they are such an exceptional human being mm. that has been able to bring out the most exceptional parts of me. Mm. Um, and through like realizing how incredible they they are, I was able to to like realize those aspects of of Mm -hmm. myself as well Mm -hmm. which is just you know beautiful in and of itself Mm -hmm. and then the trans aspect of it is just like a cherry on top for me Mm -hmm. because it's like one less thing to to have to um explain Mm -hmm. or worry about Mm -hmm. and i hear that a lot from other trans for trans couples is Mm -hmm. that like it's Mm -hmm. just so nice to not have to explain what Mm -hmm. it feels like to be to, to be experiencing dysphoria or whatever, mm-hmm, or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that you need to understand dysphoria in order to love a trans person mm-hmm. if you're cis. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had other relationships with cis people who have been so affirming and mm-hmm. so able to hold me in, mm-hmm. my, in my pain mm-hmm. when I'm going through whatever I'm going through as mm-hmm. a trans person. But uh, there is a, a level of understanding that, that it does make a difference. Mm. Not to say that it's necessary, mm. but it's nice. <laughs> it's so nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it gives me a, a comfortability that um, that has allowed me to like express uh, so authentically mm. and feel loved 
in such a unique Mm -hmm. and deep way. Mm. Um, I've only been able to like grow Mm. exponentially as our relationship progresses. And it's only been, I mean, our anniversary is June 15th. Mm. So it's not even been a year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But it feels like we've known each other for so long just Mm. because of so many changes that have happened throughout Mm -hmm, our relationship. mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just, oh God, I... I've never been so happy. Mm, I love that. I I know that like like we this is meant to to be, mm-hmm. and I I I didn't believe in that before mm. I met L mm. or before this this all started. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I was like very shut off to my um, my spirituality, my sense of mm. of uh, anything but um, what I could tangibly. see and Mm. grasp Mm. um and then just just having our relationship has just reignited something for me that Mm. a connection to myself that Mm. i Mm. i had lost Mm. so it's all about me and (laughs) (laughs) that's very powerful i mean i think i think what i what i'm hearing reflecting um a lot of trans people, I think, don't believe that they're innately lovable. Yeah. Um, or they've been told explicitly that they're not. Right. right? As, as I think you have, you've said, you've told me before that you felt that way. Um, I know that I get, you know, constant comments about that, you know, from many parts of the world. And what what I think, you know, whether or not a trans person's in a relationship with another trans person or not, um, I think there's there's a core that says, that we need to find relationships that make us feel lovable. It's not just that, that love us, it's make us feel lovable. Yeah. And I think I'm hearing that Oof. through what you're talking about. That's so real. Um, I've been in, I've been in relationships where I've been loved, I think, yeah. but not felt lovable. Mm-hmm. And that, that distinction, I think that experience made me believe in times, especially I, I dated only cis women um, so far for long-term relationships. And, and a lot of those times with women who weren't as affirming as I think I needed, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as I deserved and as I have now, um, were places in which I then felt, okay, this person loves me, but something about me is hard to love. Oh. And I think that yeah. eroded me like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I'm still figuring out, I've been in the relationship I've been in now for a couple years and um and it's been pandemic so it feels like a decade yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, so i feel like like you i feel like i've known my partner for a very long time and um and it's been short and 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 i've still i'm still piecing apart pieces of me that i that i that i banished Mm -hmm. and that i i that those relationships banished as unlovable Mm -hmm. um and what i what i what i'm like taking from what you shared um is that we need to find relationships that make us feel lovable yeah. and make us love ourselves. And I, yeah. I, I think that's so powerful. So I, I yeah. yeah, thank you. There's such a level of ease associated mm. with the feeling of, of feeling lovable mm. that I, I think is really powerful. Mm. Like I want it to feel easy mm. to love me mm. and I want, and it's so easy to love them. Mm. And, um, there, yeah, some sometimes like I I have, I have memories of like having you know intense talks with L mm. and um and reflecting that mm. to them uh, that they are so easy to love mm. and it's it's it heals it heals me mm. to be able to like experience that mm. and share that with somebody mm. 
and feel the same way mm -hmm. and it's just like there's yeah there's something very healing about about that mm -hmm. um definitely picked up from past relationships that that i was um that was so challenging to understand mm -hmm. and to love and mm -hmm. and and it was um and i should feel so grateful that that they were trying <laughs> you know um to be in a relationship where somebody doesn't have to try yeah or that their trying is of love and their trying is easy yeah you know like yeah the relationship i'm in now we both try hard sure because there's many things we don't necessarily understand it doesn't have to do with transness or gender it's just right. that we're different people with different lives you yeah know? and so we try but the trying feels to me um and we're not a perfect relationship by any means, but the trying feels like, of course, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like, oh my God, I have to try, no. you know? It's like, of course I'm gonna try. Like this is this is like how I connect and this is, and so I try. Mm -hmm. um, I love that, I love that, that, um, that the ease. I think that's something, I want everything in my life to tend towards ease. And I don't mean easy as in like, oh, it's easy to microwave something versus cook. I mean like ease, like spiritual ease. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's the spiritual ease for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> spiritual mac and cheese you can microwave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like sometimes, like, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I'll like, we'll just be hanging out and I'm like, when are we going to have our first fight? Like, I don't know. Mm. We don't know. But it's like, it's because I think the way that we communicate is just aligns mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so well. Mm -hmm. and And I don't think that that's, a requirement for mm -hmm. relationships to be healthy i really mm -hmm. don't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in this case it is so aligned mm. it's like even when we have challenges mm. there's such a deep um commitment to mm. understanding mm. to wanting to understand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also prioritizing ourselves mm. that it's like i don't know there's a balance there that just seems to really work mm. and it's nice mm -hmm. and i'm happy <laughs> And what you see on social media is only half of it, or if anything, like mm. there's like this like feeling that I have to somehow like dis like I don't know. I, I want people to know that like what they what they see of us mm -hmm. is is real, mm -hmm. and also is just a tiny snippet of how beautiful it really is because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I'm happy for you too. Well, thank you. Yeah. The feeling is is very mutual. I'm so grateful for you. And uh, if you had your guitar, I'd make you sing, but we won't make <laughs> you sing right now. Um, thank you so much for all that you offered and all that you shared. It, it means a great deal to me. And I think there's, there's always this like really deep connection I feel with people, um, especially trans mass folks because of the similarity of experience, but mm -hmm. just generally trans folks who, who know themselves, right. And who are willing to offer themselves with me, mm -hmm. um, and not be afraid of being judged for it. I think that's yeah. so valuable. And I, I, I can feel all the work that you've done and I'm, I'm, I'm so like I'm so giddy that that, mm -hmm. that I got to meet you there. Yeah, me so too. thank you so much. Thanks. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me at Ezra Michelle Music on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, I suppose. Um, if you're, <laughs> you suppose if you do that kind of thing, um, and fun, yeah, and Spotify so. Ezra Michelle on Spotify mm -hmm. and iTunes or Apple Music iTunes. What is this? 2010. <laughs> um, yeah. Those are, the, those are the spots. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ezra, for your time, energy, and vulnerability. 
sharing space with other transmasculine folks that are able to have these kinds of conversations with me is something that is deeply special. So let's get to the episode's question. How do trans people feel about how we were before? Now remember, this whole before concept, the before and after characterization of trans people is incomprehensive, but I do think it's valuable to consider what were our lives like before we found ourselves, before we accepted ourselves, before we began to show the world a little bit more of who we are. There isn't one answer to this question, there almost never is in these episodes of Dear Skylar, but here are a few things that I am taking away from my conversation with Ezra. The first is a healing of one's relationship with one's body. And I think there's a multitude of different ways that we've done that. Ezra and I talked a lot about our scars and our love for our scars. We talked about the different ways we felt about hysterectomies or lack thereof. A central theme of how we relate to our bodies and how we've healed our relationship to our bodies, especially through this very narrow concept of what gender was supposed to be or what we were taught gender was supposed to be. The second is a deep undoing of internalization, and maybe even internalization we didn't know was there. Ezra and I connected about having this feeling that there was something wrong with our gender. Our gender was somehow bad. Ezra said, and I didn't want to question it, it being his gender, how he was presenting himself. He said, I was a kid. I don't want to defend this thing. I don't want to explain myself. Let me wear what I'm wearing. And I think this expands beyond what we wore or how exactly we presented ourselves. It was about who we were. And I think getting to a place where we don't question ourselves is deeply difficult when there's all of these rules that we've been steeped in to tell us who and how we were supposed to be. The successful undoing of internalization, in my opinion, is that lessening of questioning, that lessening of doubt and just being. This leads to the third answer to the question of how we feel about how we were before and really how we connect with ourselves, how we learn to heal and find ease, connection with the parts of ourselves that have been avoided, erased, exiled is deeply important. And those parts of ourselves that are avoided, erased, and exiled are usually parts of ourselves that gender as a construct, gender as everybody expects it to be, has forbidden us from accessing. Lastly, and this was something I was reflecting on as Ezra spoke about his relationship with Elle and a bit from last week's episode of listening to Elle speak about their relationship with Ezra, was this concept of trying to tend towards ease and and a sort of spiritual ease. That ease includes experiencing and holding ourselves through grief, giving ourselves compassion for it. It also involves understanding that our paths to where we are today are not linear, that we are compilations of all that we have been, all that we are, and all that we will become. While much of our conversation surrounded our transness and the fact that we were once perceived as women and now as men, I think there is universality about gender and our experiences with gender that anyone, regardless of whether or not they are trans, can connect with. And this universality I'm talking about here is actually gender as belonging, or rather engaging with gender, with gender presentation, with gender roles, with our own understandings of our gender as tickets to belong, as a way to find our own belonging, our own understanding of belonging. And I think the more we can have compassion and kindness and gentleness with ourselves with regards to our gender, the more we can find that spiritual ease. Again, I'm so grateful for Ezra for his time. If you're looking for him, you can find him, like he said, Ezra Michelle Music on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok. 
He also has hand screen printed merch available on his Instagram shop. And if you live in LA, you can request an appointment for a haircut with him if you're looking for a gender affirming barber. Ezra actually cut my hair a couple months ago after we recorded this podcast episode, and it was a lovely, very gender affirming experience. I'm so grateful for people like him. Come back next week for another episode of Dear Skylar. What do you think of today's answer? Send me your thoughts or any question you would like to ask me by going to dearskylar.com. You can send me a message via text or even better, a voice message. Dear Skylar was written and hosted by me, Skylar Baylor, for Diversion Audio. Our producer is Antonio Enriquez and supervising producer is Mark Francis. Guest booking by Anthony Lopez and Keith Lowry with assistance from Corey Michibata. Our head of development is Jacob Bronstein with Emma DeMuth. Custom music by Tyler Cash. Our head of marketing is Nisha Gopalan. Executive producers for Diversion Audio are Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, Susan Canavan, and Scott Waxman. Diversion Audio.